You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 621 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, on this fine Thursday evening, coming to you live from my home studio. And uh, first thing first, my apologies for not having another podcast this week. My last show with Matt Moore at the end of last week was a fun one. I definitely recommend that you go back and listen to it if you missed that one. Um, I always enjoy talking to Matt about um, things in the NBA, as well as, of course, the Hawks, which you are here to listen about today. Um, with that said, I had a couple of podcasts lined up for this week that ended up falling through with guests. Um, nobody's fault, just one of those things that happens with schedules, and in the middle of August, I I did not have it in me to scramble and do a solo show and just kind of make it up as I go along as I would during the season. So hopefully you understand that concept. Um, most of this podcast that you're about to listen to is an interview that I actually did as the guest on the Locked On Fantasy podcast. It's going to be with Josh Lloyd, uh, who was actually on this show earlier this summer talking about fantasy basketball, but uh, he was interviewing me this time around and we talk for about a half hour on the podcast. So stay tuned for that in a second. First things first, though, there was one bit of Hawks news in the last couple of days, and that was the Hawks announcing a contract. Uh, with Armani Brooks from Houston. That was the rare instance in which the Hawks actually broke their own news. No one, no one reported that ahead of time. I did, I did, I did follow up quickly to find out that the Hawks actually extended an, an exhibit ten contract to Brooks. Um, no surprise there. This was always going to be a training camp deal from uh, from the announcement on, at least in the wide assumption that I made and many others made. But I wanted to at least confirm it before I actually talked about it on the podcast. But an exhibit ten contract for Brooks going to be a training camp deal. I'd be pretty surprised if Brooks made the final roster, but I want to at least talk about him a little bit. In fact, he played with the Wizards in Summer League after going undrafted this year in the 2019 draft, and he looked to be uh, spending the uh, training camp season with them. But uh, he struggled a little bit in Vegas, wasn't exactly great. I saw him play a couple times. Uh, I do know Brooks a little bit from his college days. He was uh, candidly not on, not on my radar too, too much about the NBA draft, so I didn't do a full deep dive into Brooks because he was not really a top 100 guy for really anybody that I saw. So I didn't go too deep into him, but at the same time, I've seen him play a few times. Shooting is his calling card, about a 40% three-point shooter in three seasons at Houston. And he's got a little bit of size, 6'3", uh, 6'4", um, sort of a combo guard type, but uh, was pretty good last year for Houston and someone who certainly won't look out of place on on a basketball court in a training camp setting, and all of Atlanta's other, um, um, I guess, Exhibit 10 training camp kind of guys were big, were pseudo big men. You know, Marcus Derrickson, Ray Spalding, or more front court players, and the Hawks could use the could probably just use the bodies on the perimeter. So no big surprise here that Brooks would be uh, brought to training camp. Um, the, the Exhibit 10 nature of the contract means that the Hawks could keep, keep him around in the G League if they wanted to do that. So that's something I would keep an eye on in the future. Could ha- could be seeing him in College Park as well. So um, no, nothing huge to, to take away from that other than the fact that, again, I'd be pretty surprised if Brooks made the opening day roster, but somebody to at least keep in mind and uh, you know, another body for training camp for Hawks purposes. So with that said, it's going to be the last podcast this week, and I guess the only podcast this week, so my apologies. But as we get to September, uh, post-Labor Day, the season starts to creep near media days at the end of September. Um, camp starts at that point in time, and then we're full speed ahead to October 7th in the preseason opener against the Pelicans. So plenty of content, about a month and a half, uh, I guess a little bit less than a month and a half until the preseason, preseason opener and a little bit more than a month and a half until we get into the actual regular season. So please stay tuned. We will start ramping up our coverage with preview stuff in the very near future. So please hop aboard on that. Grab us in terms of uh, subscribing on your favorite podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, 
TuneIn Radio, Himalaya app, Overcast, all those places. Find your favorite one and subscribe, or find your favorite two or three and subscribe, rate, review as well. So without further ado, we'll have a quick break to hear from our sponsors and then a full interview that I did with Josh Lloyd on the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. To help me preview the Atlanta Hawks, I'll bring in the host of the Locked On Hawks podcast, Brad Rowland, is back for another go at the team preview series. Brad, welcome back to the show. It's my pleasure to be here. Always uh, happy to talk some Hawks, and it's almost that time, man. Yeah, we're getting uh, getting closer to training camp. We're a few weeks away from things kicking back off. Of course, we've got the World Cup before that. But this Hawks team is very interesting. One of the uh, fastest-paced teams in the NBA last year, which is always fantastic from a fantasy point of view. Uh, they're going to be challenged, I think, by the Pelicans in terms of who's going to be the fastest team this year. But there is a ton of value on this Hawks team with some real uh, interesting guys to, uh, to look at for this upcoming season. I start off these shows, Brad, by looking at uh, guys who are injured and what there might maybe some updates there. Let's talk about Cam Reddish, who did have that abdominal surgery, core muscle surgery, which kept him out of summer league. Is there any concerns that that's going to keep him out of training camp? Not that I am aware of. Uh, there's been a little bit of uh, rumblings that he is not quite cleared yet to return. You know, it's the summer, so uh, teams are not, not convening in full uh, effect right now. But um, all signs point to him being ready for training camp. It's definitely taken a little bit longer than expected for Reddish, which is certainly worth noting. But uh, if he was not ready to go by, you know, early October, I would be pretty surprised by that, even if he's not quite ready yet. What sort of role do we envisage Reddish having this season? I think he's going to be coming off the bench, but he is likely to be a rotation guy straight away. It's kind of up for debate. Um, I think uh, the other rookie, DeAndre Hunter, is probably going to be slotted for rotation role. But as far as Reddish is concerned, uh, this late, this sort of late start, slow start, missing most of the summer, and the fact that he was not a great college player, um, you know, the Hawks would almost certainly have to sort of prioritize his development ahead of the actual team winning right now because I can't imagine he would be the best option to play on opening night but you know when you're looking for a rebuilding team you could be looking towards the future more than the present and that could be leading him um, to play a little bit more so it's kind of for debate honestly um, I'm pretty sure that Hunter's role is fairly secure but Reddish uh, could be a more of a slow start for him I expect him to be in the rotation at some point this season probably for most of the season but I'm not sure if it's going to be opening night or not. He's going to have to be uh, fending off guys like Alan Crabb and DeAndre Bembry into that backup role uh, on the wing there. I think he can do that. I think that they'd want to see that from him. And he, it, uh, he shot horribly in college. We all know that, whether that was the core muscle being the problem. But as I've stated repeatedly in this podcast, I don't think he can be a worse shooter than what he was in college, especially from <laughs> two points. I don't, know, I don't know how you can be worse than that. So there's not looking at it going, well, he's going to be that same guy or he's going to be worse. As many guys transition from college to the NBA, their shooting drops off. I just don't see how that's a possibility. He took a lot of threes and he got a lot of steals. And those things can be really interesting for fantasy. So if he found himself in a 23, 25, 26-minute role at any point, also I think he can also work a little bit as a ball handler in a second unit as well, which this team has exactly one point guard on the team. So that could actually help him as well. Can you see him running any point this year? Uh, there was a stray comment from Lloyd Pierce, uh, I believe it was during Summer League on a broadcast, about maybe trying Reddish at point guard. I probably wouldn't try that necessarily, but it wouldn't shock me if the Hawks did, frankly, just because he does have that reputation. I think the Hawks at least see that as a possibility for him. And like you said, there isn't really a primary backup point guard. They're going to go with Evan Turner for most of the season, by all uh, by all accounts, but that isn't a perfect solution. And if they think Reddish can handle that role, you might as well try it and try to unearth some of the uh, upside that he has there. Well, he received the kiss of death from the NBA rookie saying that he's the player they think is most likely to have the best career. So in, in all inevitability, it means he's going to be bad because the rookies always pick the wrong player in all of those surveys. So 
that's not great news for Hawks fans. Let's see how he goes. But he's going to be an interesting guy if he does find himself in a role, getting those steals and hitting some threes. And as I said, I just don't see how he could possibly be worse in terms of a shooter uh, this year than what he was last year at Duke. Let's talk about that other rookie you've mentioned already. DeAndre Hunter looks like he'll profile to be the starting small forward, replacing Torian Prince on this team. Um, I've heard there's been some sort of debate perhaps with this Hawks team as to what sort of starting lineup they go for. Do they push Hunter up to the four? Could Reddish start at the three and they play John Collins at the five? I don't think they'll go that way, but how do you see them lining up? Yeah, I'm with you on this one. I think Hunter um, could play some four um, in the future, or maybe even a little bit this year. But I think as a primary early on, he's gonna be, he's gonna be the starting small forward. Um, part of that is um, just that he's by far the clearest option at that position. The guys he the, the guys he's competing with for playing time, uh, most of them are either uh, you know shooting guard size like Alan Crabb and DeAndre Bembry, or a little bit bigger than that, or Cam Reddish. I, I just think that Hunter is uh, much more far along than Reddish is at this point in time. So you know, six eight guy who could certainly play up a little bit in the future. But I think uh, right now he's actually a better defender on the ball against perimeter players than he would be for uh, in terms of just big, bigger physical players. And offensively, he's more of a catch and shoot guy. But at the same time, I think he's going to be playing primary small forward this year. You could see him in some small ball looks, but as a primary look, I'd be pretty surprised if he was starting at, at uh, anything but small forward this year. That's how I see it as well. Now, I think he's a little bit overranked on ESPN at net 99, 147 on Yahoo. He's not a guy that put up great numbers in college in terms of defensive stats. In fact, they were remarkably low. Some of that is the system that Virginia ran. But I also don't see him as being a high-volume guy or an elite efficiency guy or a high rebounder or a good uh, assist guy or a good defensive numbers guy. I think he's going to get the minutes, but that doesn't necessarily translate into good uh, into good fantasy numbers as anyone who has had his uh, now teammate, Alan Crabb, in the past would uh, be able to attest to. So Hunter, I think, is a guy we leave for those deep leagues. I'm not particularly high on him for dynasty formats, but the minutes will be there for him this season. Let's talk about a guy that I am pretty interested in for this upcoming season. And that, of course, is Trey Young, who started off slowly last year and finished red hot. I think that Trey Young is going to be a top 20 player this year. He's ranked 43 on ESPN, so there's a pl- so much value in drafting him in that third or fourth round. He's at 20 on Yahoo. I think he can still beat that number. Over the final two months of last season, he was the 20th ranked player. He played 33 minutes a night and averaged 24, 5, and 9.5 and with a steal and did it while shooting just 34% from three. So, Brad, I give you that stat line, 24, 5, and 9.5 and with one steal. Is there any reason why Trey Young can't do that again while also improving that three-point shooting percentage? Yeah, I think it's definitely within the realm of possibility. I'd probably take the under on 24 points, um, but at the same time, that's not crazy to see that he could do that. You know, he, he averaged 19 and 8 for the full season, even with the struggles that he had early on. I still think that he's a better passer than anything else. His assists are going to be um, sort of my favorite thing about him and the way that he passes and sees the floor. But he he definitely can score. He's going to have the ball in his hands pretty much all season long. He's definitely the primary option in terms of creation on this team. And the shooting, I think, um, while I'm a little bit skeptical of his absolute upside as a three-point shooter in terms of percentage-wise, the volume's going to be there. And I think, um, you know, true talent-wise, he's better than the 32% that he shot last year and probably even better than 34% that you referenced a second ago. So, you know, you know, 24 points might seem a little bit high, but, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of low 20s and nine assists a game seems uh, right, right on it for me. And that's obviously a pretty appealing player. Well, for the last half of last season, he played 32 minutes a night in, in 39 games and averaged 23 and nine. That's a half a season. And again, coming on just that was 35% three-point shooting. Like that's that's only 23 points in 32 minutes. I think he'll play more minutes than 32 a game this year. Do you do you think that? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, Lloyd Pierce was pretty 
pretty manageable on the minutes for Trey Young and a couple of other guys as well. You know, I think there's probably a cap somewhere because they they definitely want to be a future facing team, and I think you know Young is a is a very clear part of that. But as we talked about earlier, he's kind of the he's kind of the whole game at point guard right now, so he's gonna have to play more minutes than this. I'm not sure how many more, but it's definitely gonna be more than that 31 32 that he ended mo- most of last season with. I would probably guess somewhere in the 34 35 range for this year. I can't see him being a 38 39 minute a game guy like some guys across the league have been, but you know certainly somewhere in the mid 30s I think. Yeah, that's how I've got him. I've got him at about 34 minutes. I think he pushes right to that right to that 25-point mark um, and gets you know, over nine assists a game. And then if he adds you know, that three-point shooting increasing, but more importantly, if he goes from one steal a game to one and a half steals a game, then he he's actually going to be knocking on the door of the top 10 for fantasy. That's how good these numbers can be. And it's all about, it's not saying that he's the 10th best player in the NBA. It's about opportunity. The minutes are going to be there. The usage is going to be there. The ability to get assists, to score, all these things are going to be there for Young. I don't see them going away. And that's what's going to put him right at the top. And, and uh, I've drafted him in a ton of mocks in that third round range as well. So you can still get value on him. I, I'm happy to pick him in the second round as well. I feel pretty confident about Trey Young for this coming season. The other guy I'm pretty high on for this coming year is the Baptist, John Collins, who... Heading into his third year, I think it can also be a second-round guy. Uh, ESPN's got him ranked pretty high, 17. That, that's a little bit too high. They've got him so high, uh, far above Trey Young, which doesn't make sense to me. Yahoo at 29 means there's some value. Fantrax at 45, there's a ton of value. I think that John Collins is going to put it together. Now, he only played 30 minutes a night last season, Brad. So like Trey Young, how much more are we seeing from Collins this season? I think it'll be somewhere um, in the same range as Trey. I would certainly pick Trey Young to play a little bit more than John Collins because, you know, point guard, the fact that Young's going to have that workload on his shoulders, and Collins is a very high-energy player. The Hawks have talked about it a little bit last year, um, him, him having to kind of play through it and play more minutes by earning them, uh, not really with his play, but just being consistent and being able to keep up the energy that it com- that comes with, with playing that many minutes. I think 30 is definitely going to go up. That's where he was last season. I think it's going to be somewhere in the 32-33 range for me. It could be more than that. Uh, that could he could certainly surprise me by playing a little bit more. It's definitely going to go up, and if he can maintain the efficiency and, and the energy, particularly defensively, which isn't the biggest part of his fantasy value by any means, but if he can play that well on the floor to just stay in games, because I think that's something that, that, that the coaching staff's looking for with John Collins is being able to defend for that many minutes. If he can prove that he can do that, then they're going to leave him out there for even longer, and that means more numbers. He's a look. People look at his numbers from last year and they go, "Well, 0.4 steals and 0.6 blocks." It's a real deficiency in fantasy, and that that's true. But the fact that he's efficient from the field and from the line, yeah, big rebounder, hits about a three a game, twenty point. I think he's going to be a twenty and ten guy this season. But I think we've spoken about this before, Brad. Brad, I wonder if you remember the answer. But how many steals did John Collins have in a 2018 portion of last season? Wasn't it like one? It, it was a very yeah. very low number. <laughs> So talking like with Cam Reddish, we say he can't be a worse shooter. There's no way John Collins goes through a three-month period of a season and has one steal again. So that is definitely bound to uh, return or improve his uh, his steal rate. His steal rate and block rate both cut in half from his rookie season to his second season. Now, maybe he isn't the same guy in terms of defensive numbers we saw as a rookie. I feel pretty confident in saying he's also not the guy that averaged 0.4 steals per 36 uh, last season as a member of the Hawks. I think that's going to have to improve. Or, or will definitely improve from where he was last year. So I think that we're going to see those defensive numbers at least come up to be respectable. And that's is going to put him into that second round range for this season as that high efficiency big man who's going to who's going to score, who's going to rebound, who who's going to hit some threes, and, and most importantly, be in, be efficient. So I think that they are two guys who have got tremendous upside to finish as top twenty five players 
for this season. The other guy who is locked in as a starter is Kevin Herter, who will start alongside Trey Young in that backcourt. We've spoken already about the lack of other guys to handle the ball. So to me, that means that Herter is going to have to increase his playmaking. He can do it. He averaged uh, three three assists a game last season, 3.3 over the final 35 games of the season. And that's going to be his key. If he can get that to, say, four assists per game, then that's going to be the thing that pushes him into the top 100. He should have a more settled role. Only 27 minutes a night last season. Again, like Young and Collins, that's definitely going to increase, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Herter wasn't even a full-fledged member of the absolute core rotation early on last year. Much like Cam Reddish, he missed a bunch of his rookie summer before his first season with an injury and got off to a slow start, struggled and struggled in the preseason. They they kind of laugh about that now, but uh, the fact that he had to kind of play his way into a full-time role and they kind of he kind of benefited from an injury as well to Kent Bazemore that opened the door for him to play a lot more minutes. And I think uh, just like you said, he's going to be playing a lot of minutes. It would not it would not stun me if Herter plays as many minutes as Collins did this year. That I mean, it would I would necessarily predict that, but somewhere in the low 30s for me would be where I would guess. He's certainly the less uh, high-profile member of that trio, but they're going to need his shooting, especially on this team with a lot of the potential uh, question marks that there are on the uh, on the three-point shooting side, uh, other, other places on this roster. His shooting is going to be valuable, and like you said, he's going to have a higher uh, playmaking role. I'm not sure he'll ever be a primary guy where he'll have the ball in his hands all the time, but as a secondary guy, he's certainly the lead option alongside Trey Young, and if Trey leaves the court, um, you know, if, if, you, if you were to pair Evan Turner and Kevin Herter together, which is probably going to happen at times this season. I think Herter, as a lead ball handling candidate, might have a pretty good uh, case to be made to have the ball in his hands. So I think the shooting is his primary value. It's probably never going to change. But at the same time, he's, he's always been an underrated creator, an underrated passer, and someone who I think is going to be playing a big-time role this year. Yeah, I can see him. Yeah, even this season, he could average four assists per game. I'm not quite sure he gets there, but I don't think he'll be too far off getting there, just given the fact that there are just so few guys who can be creators on this team. I do think that's going to be interesting to see exactly how he gets used on this squad. Um, but I do think that's improving for him. He can be a top 100 sort of a guy. He's ranked way too low on ESPN at 180. So there's value in him there. Uh, Yahoo is at 101. That's about the right spot, I think, for Herder. And I, too, agree with you thinking he's going to get you know, low 30s in minutes and uh, be able to score well, hit threes and hit them efficiently, you know, get a steal and get some solid assist numbers. So Kevin Herter really is a pretty stock standard uh, standard league player for this coming season. At center, Alex Len, I think we have to pencil him in as the starter at this point. But is that a starter in name only, a 23-minute-a-night role, or will he push up 27, 28 minutes? Because the backup situation is not great behind him, and that would require you know, John Collins playing a lot more minutes at center. Yeah, I think he's going to be a starter, um, almost certainly, at the, at the beginning of the season. But like you said, it's not going to be a massive minute role for um, for Alex Len. Last season, Dwayne Dedman, who is a better player than Alex Len, averaged about 25 minutes a game. Uh, granted, he had Alex Len behind him, and uh, Len is a better player than the backups that he actually has on this team this year with Damian Jones and maybe Bruno Fernando, the rookie. So I think Len could play in that 25-26 minute a game range. But even last year, when Dedman missed some time, the Hawks rarely pushed Len into that 35-minute-a-game kind of role, even if even if he was kind of the only option. They seem to want to manage his minutes a little bit. You could see why. He, he's a massive human being. He's like 7'2", 250. He's a big-time guy who has to uh, carry, along, carry around a, sort of a big frame. The shooting was encouraging from Alex Lynn last year, um, you know, but defensively, they don't necessarily think he's a, a lockdown guy on that end of the floor either. So I think a bigger role than last year, almost certainly, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of where Devin was um, in terms of minutes per game. And, you know, we'll see how he fares, uh, whether, the, whether the shooting is real 
Last year he shot 36% from three. I'm not sure that's a real number, but maybe it is. You know, he, he looked pretty comfortable taking taking threes last year, and if he can sort of turn that, turn that into a real skill that's uh, future-facing uh, to go along with the fact that he's now easily the primary center and behind John Collins, the number two play finisher on this team around the rim when take, when catching lobs and finishing from passes with Trey Young. Um, there's some interesting upside for Alex Lynn. He's still pretty young, but until I see a center under Lloyd Pierce playing big, big minutes, I uh, have to be a little, bit, a little bit skeptical of that. Yeah, I think he's going to be in that 26-minute zone, which puts him at the back end of standard leagues um, in that you know, 11th round, sort of a 12th round sort of an area. The three-point shooting is really interesting with him. Um as he shot more threes, he became a better shooter, which was really interesting. Over the final 25 games, he upped it to four and a half three attempts per game and hit 42% of them. And the last, the end of the season, he had some games which were crazy. These are his last six games, 23 and six, and that included six three-point attempts. 21 and five with a block, and that included four out of five from three. Next game, 11 and two in 14 minutes. That's a, a foul trouble game, limited him there, but still got up four three-point attempts. Nine and four in 22 minutes with uh, two of seven shooting. 33-8 and eight with two blocks and six of 12 three-point shooting, and then 20-10 and 10 in the final game of the season with three blocks and two of six three-point shooting. So just a ridiculous amount of three-point attempts, massive volume from Len, and only two of those games uh, were 30 minutes or above. So he can put up the numbers. I'm not sure if there's huge upside in Len, but he did start to really bring that three-point shooting along, got more confident in it, and it started going in more as well. So that does make it pretty interesting to see where he's going to go as a starting center on this team. A guy that I have liked back to his Phoenix days and has always been in sort of suboptimal situations. Now he gets an optimal situation with players around him, like Collins, with Young, and, and Herder there as well, to see if he can actually do anything. And this is the opportunity for Len to, uh, to at least have a, have a crack at that and see where that goes. The Atlanta Hawks brought in Jabari Parker as a free agent. Of course they did. So he is uh, now the backup power forward, I would guess. Um, getting minutes for Parker seems like it's going to be a little bit tough with with uh, Hunter, who can play up at the four Collins there already, reddish and push into the wing minutes. And what do you think the Hawks are looking at for Jabari for this coming season? Like, What sort of role is he going to be holding? I think, like you said, he's going to be, he's going to be the backup power forward, um, at least in terms of his actual uh, just pure role. It is very interesting to me, though, to see how many minutes he's going to play because um, the big X factor is the fact that John Collins can play some center, but we're not sure how much he's going to play center um, just because of the fact that the Hawks have been confident in saying that he's, that he's a primary power forward that can play center but doesn't always going to do that. So that's the big swing. If Collins is going to play all of his minutes at the four, that kind of limits the minutes for Jabari Parker because, as you said, you might see some Hunter at the for. You might see some Vince Carter. You might see uh, other guys. You, know, you could even see Evan Turner there if he wants to play alongside Trey Young. There are there are other options at the four. With that said, the Hawks did give him a, a pretty uh, reasonable investment in Jabari Parker, a two-year deal with a player option, which kind of signals to me that they like him more than most people do, including myself, honestly. Um, but at the same time, you know Parker is someone who they like his creation, and when Trey Young leaves the court, they're gonna they're gonna need some people that can kind of take up some usage. I think that's that's part of the uh, part of the angle here is that Jabari can kind of just take the ball and be a primary initiator. Whether that's uh, for other people or or not, it's kind of up for debate. He's more of a scorer than anything else right now, but there's at least some upside in terms of, of in terms of scoring. But I am pretty skeptical of his role being that big in terms of minutes, just because I'm not sure you can play him with Collins um, because Collins' defense is a little bit shaky, and Parker is a really bad defensive player at least at this point in his career so if you can't if you can't put those those two guys together I'm just not sure the minutes are going to be there for Parker even if even, even if he was he's pretty clearly the backup power forward that could be a backup power forward playing 15 minutes a game though rather than 22-23. 
yeah, it is hard to see exactly how that fits. And you're right, that Collins-Parker pairing would be pretty poor uh, from a defensive point of view. Jabari's going to get his shots up. He's going to score. He, he's still more of that 14 or probably 16-team league guy. If an injury occurs, we know he can come out and throw up meaningless points as he did for the Wizards last season. But outside of that, he doesn't do uh, a huge amount more than that uh, for, for fantasy managers. Let's um, let's look at this backup center position because it is pretty interesting. You mentioned Bruno Fernando. You mentioned Damian Jones. Who do you think gets first crack at being that backup center? It's a great question. Um, you know, I tend to think that Damian Jones will be there early because uh, I tend to devalue rookies a little bit and just think that rookies, especially second round picks, are uh, should be skeptical of those guys. Um, and Travis Schlenk was in Golden State when uh, when they drafted Damian Jones. I think he I think he likes Damian Jones, and that was part of the reason, at least, that they traded for him in the Amari Spellman trade. With that said, nothing would surprise me here. Um, and when, when you factor in that Collins is also, you know, could be some center minutes as well for him. Um, I'm not sure either guy is going to be playing a big enough role they could even split it you know Lloyd Pierce went pretty deep in his rotation sometimes last year playing 11 12 guys in, in single games even if they're competitive games so I would lean Jones ever so slightly but if you ask me to pick who plays more minutes during the, during the full season it might be Fernando just because he he is a rookie and the Hawks traded up for him they like him a lot and they might look to prioritize him if Jones is not playing all that well they've also got three guys from Maryland now on this team I just did the, uh, Pelicans, did the Pelicans preview they've got five Duke guys so you're not quite at that level but three Maryland players on this team Herder, Len and uh, and Fernando now I think Fernando much like you will probably not be there initially but will end up getting more minutes as the season goes on and play more minutes than Jones he blocked a lot of shots in, in summer league so that's interesting he's a pretty strong rebounder he's a huge unit as well you know, big muscly shoulders um Really shows a lot of strength. Now, will he develop in a three-point shot? Can he have any playmaking? I'm really doubtful about that. But an interesting, efficient center with good field goal percentage and free throw percentage is always something to keep an eye on. And he's a name down the stretch. If the Hawks are out of it, maybe he gets some starts in like March or, or April just to see how he starts developing with these guys. That, it's something I wouldn't completely rule out. Yeah, Alex Len's also an expiring contract, so if they were to look to potentially move on from him, I know he's, he's pretty young, and I do like Alex Len, but they invested in Fernando, and if for some reason they were to move on from Len, or if there was an injury somewhere, Fernando would be a guy who could be in line for minutes, and you know, rebounding at least might be interesting for him. He was definitely a big-time rebounder in college. I'm not sure if, on everything else, honestly, because he's still going to be raw as a rookie, but uh, would not surprise me if he was playing a pretty big role in March and April. Alan Crabb came over in the Torian Prince deal. I... It's a struggle to figure out where he's fitting in this rotation. We've got Young, we've got Herder, Evan Turner's the backup point guard, and then your backup shooting guard, Cam Reddish, could be in the mix there. There's DeAndre Bembry, who played a pretty big role last season. Where is Crab fitting in here? Is he a rotation piece every night, a sub-20-minute-a-night guy? Because that's a pretty big drop from where he was in Brooklyn. Yeah, I think if if the season starts today, which we're thinking that it's probably going to be uh, Crab as the, back, as the backup shooting guard, at least as a primary look, um, for me at least... Having Evan Turner, who is a non-shooter as a backup point guard, makes it to where you kind of need crab shooting. Um, for instance, um, playing Turner and Bembry together might be a little bit of a struggle because neither one of those guys can really shoot it. Crab is kind of only a shooter, but at the same time, he can bring that element to the table. And aside from Herder, he's kind of the only guy on this perimeter that we know is a knockdown shooter right now. I, I think Hunter and Reddish can certainly shoot it. We think they can, but they're still rookies, and there's some, there's some uncertainty there. Crab is a proven, you know, high 30s three-point shooter. So you know. On the flip side of that, Crab was pretty much a salary dump. They, they took him on in terms of that trade, so I'm not exactly sure how they how they feel about Alan Crab. He was not someone that they like sought out to go after and acquire specifically. It was more that he was they were basically taking his contract on from Brooklyn. So you know, if the GM doesn't love him, if the coaching staff doesn't love him, it wouldn't blow me away if he wasn't playing a whole lot. But for me, I think I pencil him in as the backup shooting guard at least to start the season because they're just going to need a shooting. 
Yeah, I think that's how I see it as well. But I, I don't think that he's a guarantee to remain in the rotation all season because no. it could be. But if Crab's in there, that is going to mean Bembry's going to struggle to get regular playing time after putting together a pretty strong season last season. So what's what's the Hawks' thoughts on Bembry and his future? It's a great question. That's something we've been talking about quite a bit, actually, in Atlanta. It's just how this rotation shakes out. And for me, if I had to guess early in the year, he might be the 11th guy, and that makes it tough. You know, in some ways, you know, I know the Hawks like him. I know Lloyd Pierce likes him. He was very complimentary of Bembry last year. But as a guy who's entering his fourth season, his last year in his rookie contract, um, nothing is assured for Bembry long term. He wasn't drafted by this regime. He was drafted by the previous regime. And, you know, he's not really a shooter. So if you factor in that Evan Turner is prim- is primarily going to be the backup point guard on this team, that's kind of the pseudo role that Bembry has been in at times. Not necessarily a point guard, but as someone who has to have the ball in his hands because he's not really a great shooter. He's a good defender. Um, that's something that he has going for him that guys like Crab don't, don't necessarily have, but Bembry is just sort of a weird fit on this roster right now, and because he's a little bit older, he's 25 already, um, he might he might just be on, on the outside looking in. I think they're going to probably try to find a way to play him at least somewhat regularly because they do like his tenacity defensively, but um, just th- with, with his skill set, it's easy to see how he might fall out of the rotation at times, if not just all the time. Yeah, that's how I sort of see him as well. But he's going to be on that periphery there. And again, if they run with that crab turn of backcourt, Bembry will be then battling Cam Reddish for minutes at the three, and they'd probably want to prioritize Reddish in that scenario, making it hard to see Bembry as a necessary every night part of the rotation. Evan Turner is going to be this backup point guard. He did up his rebound and assist rates pretty considerably last season. And if you are in need of assists off the waiver wire to stream someone in, Turner could easily average four, four and a half assists on this team in a regular role with no one else really um, pro- providing that sort of value. But outside of that, he has so many more other struggles. But at least as a as a backup point guard who is going to have a solid role, we sort of know what we're getting from Turner at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think that Turner is interesting in that as soon as they traded for him, they traded Kent Bazemore for him, the Hawks immediately went into spin mode and wanted to tell everyone that would listen that he's the backup point guard. And I believe that because he's kind of the only one on the roster. Um, with that said, I'm not sure how this is going to work. Is he only going to play when Trey Young leaves the court? Because if that happens, he's down to a 16-minute-a-game, maybe even less, role. Um, but if they plan to use Turner as like a backup three or four at times, playing him with Trey Young, then that might op- open him up open him up a little bit, even if it's not with the ball in his hands, because the problem with Turner is that he can't shoot. So if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he doesn't have a ton of value. And if you're playing him alongside Trey Young, I can't imagine giving him the ball in, that, in those circumstances. So it might just be like a 14-minute-a-game role for Evan Turner. And if that's, if that's the case, then you probably don't want much to do with him. But if he plays more than that, and it certainly he certainly could if they fall in love with his skill set, um, it does make some sense. So he's kind of a weird fit. He's always been a weird fit. But if he plays enough minutes, you can sort of see what the appeal might be. Just a reminder that how he, Alan Crabb, and of course Chandler Parsons, who's on this roster, make a combined $61 million for this season. So Chandler Parsons and Vince Carter are just going to be sitting down at the end of the bench. Carter started games last season. He played a significant role, but we have to assume that his role is uh, smaller this year. Yeah, for sure. I think that's definitely going to be the case. And uh, we'll see. I mean, it, there's a lot of uncertainty uh, behind behind Young and Herder, and I think Hunter, there really isn't a whole lot assured on the perimeter on this team. I'm taking some educated guesses right now from talking to people and just kind of using my own um, roster building. But there there is some there, there is some uncertainty, honestly. And I think that makes it tough, but it also makes it to the point where there's two or three guys who are clearly going to have roles and everybody else could fall in and out of the rotation uh, as, the year, as, as the year goes on. 
Yeah, that's sort of how I see it as well. I think we've covered most of these guys now. I'm just going to go through some uh, value and uh, bust guys. I think Yahoo, Trey, oh, sorry, on ESPN, Trey Young at 43, ridiculous. There's so much value in him at that spot. Well, also on ESPN, they have Jabari Parker listed as the 105th best player. There is almost no way that he can get, even if he played 30 minutes a night, I think he'd struggle to get to that level. And he's not playing 30 minutes a night. So don't take Jabari Parker at pick number 105. Brad, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter and uh, about the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you asking. Um, I'm at BT Roland. That's R-O-W-L-A-N-D on Twitter. And I host Locked on Hawks podcast. Usually have a lot of fun talking Hawks stuff. Uh, I tend to be uh, try to be as real as possible without um, being too fanboyish. But I, I did grow up locally in Atlanta and do have the history with the team and all that fun stuff. So hopefully uh, the best place to get your Hawks audio content. So if you want to listen to the team, a, definitely a fun, exciting young team. Um, I'm hoping to sort of grow, grow alongside this young team and uh, having, having a lot of fun doing it so i appreciate everybody that wants to uh, give me a follow and uh, subscribe to the podcast go listen to brad over on locked on hawks brad thanks for jumping back on locked on fantasy basketball with me